As the jeweller returned to the apartment, he cast around him a scrutinising glance, but there was nothing to excite suspicion. If it did not exist, or to confirm it, if it were already awakened, Caderousse's hands still grasped the gold and banknotes, and La Carconte called up to her her sweetest smiles while welcoming the reappearance of their guest. Well, well, said the jeweller, you seem, my good friends, to have some fears for respecting the accuracy of your money by counting it over so carefully, directly, once I was gone. Oh, no, answered Caderousse, that was not my reason, I can assure you. But the circumstances by which we have come become possessed of this wealth are so unexpected as to make us scarcely credit our good fortune. And it is only by placing the actual proof of our riches before our eyes that we can persuade ourselves that the whole affair is not a dream. The jeweller smiled. Have you any other guests in your house? inquired he. Nobody but ourselves, replied Caderousse. The fact is is we do not lodge travellers. Indeed, our tavern is so near town that nobody would think of stopping here. Then I'm afraid I must very much inconvenience you. Inconvenience, yes? Not at all, my dear sir, said La Carconte in the most gracious manner. Not at all, I assure you. But where will you manage to stow me? In the chamber overhead. Surely that is where you yourselves sleep. Never mind that, we have a second bed in the adjoining room. Caderousse stared at his wife with much astonishment. <coughs> the jeweller, meanwhile, was humming a song as he stood warming his back at the fire like Arconti had kindled to dry the wet garments of her guest. And this, is, this done, she next occupied herself in arranging his supper by spreading a napkin at the end of the table and placing on it the slender remains of their dinner, to which she added three or four fresh-laid eggs. Caderousse had once more parted with his treasure. The banknotes were replaced in the pocketbook, the gold back in the bag, and the hole carefully locked in the cupboard. Then he began pacing the room with a pensive and gloomy air, and, glancing from time to time at the jeweller, who stood reeking with the steam from his wet clothes, and merely changing his place on the warm hearth to enable the whole of his garments to be dried. There, said La Carconte, as she placed a bottle of wine on the table, your supper is ready when you are. <clears throat> and you? asked Johannes. I don't want any supper, said Caderousse. We dined so very late. It hastily interposed La Carconte. Then it seems I am to eat alone, uh, remarked the jeweller. Oh, we shall have the pleasure of waiting upon you, answered La Carconte with eager attention. She was not accustomed to manifest even to guests who paid for what they took. From time to time Caderousse darted on his wife <coughs> keen searching glances, but rapid as the lightning flash, the storm continued. There, there, said La Carconte. Do you hear that? Upon my word, you did well to come back. Nevertheless, replied the jeweller, if by the time I have finished my supper the tempest has abated, I shall make another start. <coughs> it's the mistral, said Caderousse, and it will be sure to last till tomorrow morning, he sighed heavily. <coughs> well, said the jeweller, as he placed himself at the table, 
All I can say is, so much the worse for those who are abroad. Yes, chimed in La Conti. They will have a wretched night of it. The jeweller began eating his supper, and the woman, who was ordinarily so querulous and indifferent to all who approached her, was suddenly transformed into the most smiling, attentive hostess. Had the unhappy man on whom she lavished her acidities been previously acquainted to her, so sudden an alteration might have excited suspicion in his mind, or at least have greatly astonished him. Caderousse, meanwhile, continued to pace the room in gloomy silence, sedulously avoiding the sight of his guest. But as soon as the stranger had completed his repast, the agitated innkeeper went eagerly to the door and opened it. I believe the storm is over, said he. But, as if to contradict the statement, that instant a violent clap of thunder seemed to shake the house to its very foundation, while a sudden gust of wind, mingled with rain, extinguished the lamp he held in his hand. Trembling and awestruck, Caderousse hastily shut the door and returned to his guest, while La Carconti lighted the candle by the smouldering ashes of the glimmering on the hearth. You must be tired, she said to the jeweller. I have a pair of white sheets on your bed. Go up when you are ready and sleep well. Johannes stayed for a while to see whether the storm seemed to abate in its fury, but a brief space of time sufficed to assure that instead of diminishing, the violence of the rain and thunder momentarily increased. Resigning himself, therefore, to what seemed inevitable, he bade the host good night and mounted the stairs. He passed over my head and I heard the flooring creak beneath its footsteps. The quick eager glance of Lacarconti followed him as he ascended, while Caderousse, on the contrary, turned his back and seemed most anxiously to avoid even glancing at him. All these circumstances did not strike me as painful fully at the time as they have since done. In fact, all that happened, with the, except, with the exception of the story of the diamond, which certainly did wear an air of improbability, appeared natural enough, and called for neither apprehension nor mistrust. But worn out as I was with fatigue, and fully proposing to proceed onwards directly, the tempest abated. <clears throat> I determined to obtain a few hours' sleep. Overhead, I could accurately distinguish the every movement of the jeweller, who, after making the best arrangements in his pow power for passing a comfortable night, threw himself on his bed, and I could hear it creak and groan beneath his weight. Insensibly, my eyelids grew heavy, Deep sleep stole over me, and I have, and having no suspicion of anything wrong, I sought not to shake it off. I looked into the kitchen once more and saw Caderousse sitting by the side of a long table upon one of the low wooden stools, which country places are frequently used instead of chairs.
His back was turned towards me, so that I could not see the expression of his countenance. Neither should I have been able to do so, had he been placed differently, as his head was buried between his two hands. Larkar Conti continued to gaze on him for some time. Then, shrugging her shoulders, she took her seat immediately opposite to him. At this moment, the expiring embers threw up a fresh flame from the kindling of a piece of wood that lay near, and the bright light flashed over the room. Conti still kept her eyes fixed on her husband, but as he made no sign of changing his position, she extended her hard, bony hand and touched him on the forehead. Kateriz shuddered. The woman's lips seemed to move as though she were talking, but because she merely spoke in an undertone, all my senses were dulled by sleep. I did not catch a word she uttered. Confused sights and sounds. seemed to float before me, and I gradually fell into a deep, heavy slumber. How long I had been in this unconscious state, I know not, when I was suddenly aroused by the report of a pistol, followed by a fearful cry. Weak and tottering footsteps resounded across the chamber above me. And the next instant... A heavy weight seemed to fall upon the staircase. I had not yet fully regained consciousness. Hastily rising myself on one arm, I looked around, but all was dark, and it seemed to me as if the rain must have penetrated through the flooring. Then all became clear and manifest to me. <clears throat> I reproached myself for what had just happened, as though I myself was involved. 